You're listening to The Policy Matters, a podcast at the intersection of government and business. We are the Strategist Group, and we will be sitting down with policy experts and business leaders to discuss their story, the lessons they've learned, and the future of policy nationwide. On episode one, I interviewed Jim Horn, partner and co-founder at Strategist Group. In this podcast, we talked about Jim's time in state government, his impact on modernizing Florida's education system, and the work he's doing today at Strategist Group. Specifically, Jim shared with us a historical perspective of how Florida's education system has evolved, his insights on teacher compensation, and education policy at large. I'm Nick Mortellaro, and I'm here with Jim Horn, former Florida Commissioner of Education, state senator, and a current partner here at Strategist Group. Welcome aboard the show, Jim. Well, thank you, Nick. It's uh, my pleasure. So. We'll start off, kind of introduce yourself. You know, you're a former certified public accountant. How did you get into politics? Well, that's sort of the kind of crazy part of it, uh, Nick, is that uh, I was a practicing CPA uh, in the local area near Jacksonville, just south of Jacksonville in an area called Orange Park. And um, I really was having a hard time with some of the career politicians. I thought that they were uh, causing a lot of the problems that we were experiencing in the state. Because at the time in Florida, back in the early 90s, we led the nation to violent crime. And so I continued to sort of kind of honestly spit off at the mouth at church and in other social settings. And a lot of my friends, I think, finally just got tired of hearing me talk about the problems and said, you know what, you need to do something about it and you should run for office. And they threw down the challenge and I took the challenge and decided to run for the for the Florida Senate. And, you know, usually you start off by trying to run for a House seat. Uh, I wasn't, honestly, probably even smart enough to figure that out. And I plunged directly into a state Senate seat. And uh, everybody said, you have no chance of winning. In fact, I think the very first poll that I saw showed that I had a name ID of 4%, but they said that the, that the poll had a margin of error of 5%. So either I was negative or 9%. Uh, that didn't deter me. <laughs> And so I, with a lot of uh, help from friends and family, we campaigned very hard and I won that in my very first run for public office in 1994. So starting in the Senate and then you moved on, as I understand, to chair the Education Policy Committee. Yes, actually the Education Appropriations Committee. Uh, When I got to Tallahassee, I wasn't even really sure how to file a bill, so I it's always been kind of a little bit of a quick study. Uh, part of that may be some of my training as a CPA, being very analytical, and uh, immediately started to work on issues that were important to me. At the time, I wanted to fight crime. I wanted to be the crime fighter. I wanted to file all the tough crime legislation. Uh, and after having served two years uh, in the Senate, uh, the incoming Senate president you know, determined that it was time for me to chair a committee. And... Um, she offered me the education appropriations chairmanship. And I didn't even know at the time that that's one of the top places to serve. And I said, hey, no, I want to I want to chair criminal justice. I want to be the crime fighter. And uh, she said, well, that has already been promised to someone. But I will give you your choice of chairing children and family or education appropriations committee. And so I thought about it for probably a nanosecond. And I said, I'll do the education thing. But I said, I'm a reformer. And I have some kind of maybe some crazy ideas about how we could reform the education system. And she said, you know, this is the perfect place for you. And we will certainly support your 
leadership in these areas. And so I then embarked on legislation that I thought would benefit the education system. So talk us through some of that policy at the time. You know, you're an education reformer. You know, what did that mean at the time that you took office in the Florida Senate? So Florida um, was changing very quickly from um, a time that uh, had majority ruled by Democrats to majority ruled by Republicans and shifted some of the thinking and education towards more choice. Uh, so I filed the first uh, charter school bill. I actually filed it in 1995, which we didn't pass. And then again in 1996, the version we did pass. And then ever since then, some kind of version of charter school legislation, uh, different kinds of scholarship or voucher bills, uh, some accountability legislation, some funding, performance funding legislation. So Florida really embarked very quickly, rapidly on a lot of kind of very progressive, very choice oriented uh, education reform policies. And then Governor Bush came to office. Jeb Bush um, came into office in 1998 and took some of these ideas that had actually started pre-Governor Bush. And quite honestly, he put them on steroids and took them to a whole new level and kind of took these ideas and implemented them and inculcated them into the fabric of education. And they've been moving in that direction ever since. That's awesome. So, you know, taking a step um, into that role, you know, at the Florida Department of Education. So you're tapped by Governor Jeb Bush and you're the Secretary of Education. So, you know, taking a look at the numbers, that's, you know, 3,000 employees, 67 school districts, 28 community colleges and 11 universities and a multi-billion dollar budget. Yes, it was a, it was certainly challenging. So prior to that time, we had an elected commissioner of education. And um, so working with Governor Bush as a state senator and having moved up to being, quite honestly, the second ranking Republican in the Senate at that time and chairing the entire budget, we didn't like the way we had three very separate delivery systems, one for higher education, governed under a board of regents, one that was sort of a governed by individual boards of trustees, but a coordinating body for the community colleges. And then you had the traditional DOE side that sort of governed K-12. And he and others and myself, we kind of honestly, it's pretty funny when you look back at it, we sat around on a cocktail napkin one night and redrew the entire organizational structure uh, of the new system. Uh, I believe that that cocktail napkin is still around <laughs> um, but we sat around at the time, Speaker John Thrasher, who's now the president of Florida State University, and myself and Governor Bush helped create this new concept, this new idea that we would abolish the Board of Regents, abolish the State Board of Community Colleges, create and do away with an elected commissioner and create an appointed version and roll it all together. And so it took a constitutional amendment to do that. We did that. Governor Bush asked me to step down uh, a year early from my term in the Senate and become the first appointed commissioner of education. And so I did that. Uh, it was a dream job. It was an opportunity that you could only dream about. I uh, took over a, a very large bureaucracy of mm -hmm. over 3000 employees. We had an internal budget of about $145 million and an external budget where we distributed the money uh, of $25 billion with a capital B. So wow. it was a beast. These cultures were very different. Just think about that. The higher education culture, uh, the community college culture, 
which was evolving to state college levels themselves and then K-12 and being able to just try to bring those cultures together, merge disparate kinds of operating systems, just even trying to get everybody on one phone system and one email system. That in itself was hard. Everybody thought Governor Bush had lost his mind appointing a non-educator to head the education system. You know, as people began to think about it, they began to realize that's actually a, probably a pretty good move to take somebody who understands finance, because really at the end of the day, a lot of policy is driven by education funding and someone who can understand education finances is kind of ideally suited to sort of run the education system. And so it was an incredible opportunity because it was also at this time that we're now implementing a lot of these new uh, progressive reform ideas like charter schools and vouchers and scholarships, accountability, high stakes testing, you know, grading of schools. Uh, it was a time, it was an era where I don't think that anybody would ever want to walk away from that kind of an opportunity. Sure. And, you know, about 20 years later, you know, here we are, and this is still um, a topic that is being championed, you know, at all levels of government in the state of Florida. You know, you have the governor coming out with a proposal for uh, increased teacher pay. Um, so this is, you know, highly relevant. Yeah, teachers are are, are very important. And, and Governor DeSantis has just proposed to being able to raise the starting salaries of teachers to where Florida would be second or third highest in the country. And the hope is that it would also push up salaries for veteran teachers, you know, correspondingly. And so, you know, teachers are a very important part. And we've always recognized that. Uh, and it's been one of the great struggles because when I became commissioner, one of the things that uh, I just assume naturally that I could do is that I could speak directly to teachers, that I could correspond with them, that I could communicate with them. Um, again, this is, you know, uh, 18 years ago now, but I couldn't. Uh, I didn't have the email addresses of all the teachers. Um, and quite honestly, when I asked for them, I got a little bit of pushback too. But over a period of time, we were able to build some databases where we could get the email addresses. Um, and I can remember my first uh, mass email to all the teachers, and it came off really bad. It was <laughs> terrible. Um, it was on the eve of our FCAT, which was our earlier, the name we gave for the statewide assessment of, of students. In an effort to try to uh, alleviate some of the stress on teachers, you know, because they were so concerned about how well their students would do, this one test would kind of determine the school grade, would kind of determine whether they got the scarlet letter. And so, sure. I was trying, only trying to, you know, ease the tension and my choice of words were not good. Um, <laughs> I, you know, more or less my message was, you know, don't, don't stress this. Well, they didn't appreciate being told not to stress it. Uh, and while we all may use emails to send a sentence or two, maybe a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs. Well, the response back from teachers was basically, I got an epistle. <laughs> I mean, it was oftentimes it would be, pages of stuff. And even six, nine months after my infamous email, I was still getting return emails. Um, they really didn't appreciate uh, me trying to tell them just to, you know, take it easy and not worry about it because they did. So did you respond to these emails? Did you I responded to every one of them. Uh, and I did it personally. 
and it took a lot of time. But teachers are important. That's, you know, it's the it's the key part of what uh, makes the education system. This is the front line. And uh, we need to not only build up our teachers and, and it's more than just compensation, but I do believe compensation is is probably the most important part. But it's professional development. It's leadership development that uh, goes into the culture of the classroom and providing technological tools for teachers. And so I'm always been a gigantic, incredible proponent of teachers and whatever we can do for teachers. I do believe that we need to create a real professional pay plan for teachers. And I think that's the one great thing that we have still left back at the starting point where we've made great strides in so many areas, but we've really never created the professional pay plan, you know, and treat teachers like a profession like you would do, say, as CPAs, which is the field I came from, or doctors or lawyers or engineers. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. And I'm hoping that one day, you know, we'll get to that because that's probably the greatest, probably silver bullet opportunity we'll ever have. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, kind of moving forward, you know, you you get through the public sector and then you, you know, hang up your political cleats, so to speak. And now you're, you know, working in the consulting world as a business and government affairs advisor to many notable companies, you know, ACT, K-12 Incorporated, and uh, Kaplan, just to name a few. What are, you know, what are some of the key differences in this new world, you know, outside of the public sector now in this private sector consulting role? Well, you know, it starts with that word private, you know, <laughs> uh, in the public sector, uh, always subject to um, being more open and, and being able to be, you know, sort of under the thumb of the media. Whereas when you shift to the private sector, you know, you, you kind of earn back some of your privacy. But what has been good about it for me is um, having served in the legislature as a state senator and then having served as a commissioner of education, you know, two pretty unique roles, one making laws, one sort of enforcing laws, because the the DOE is in some ways kind of like an educop too. So you, you have a regulatory aspect uh, as well as a service delivery model. But so there were uh, a shift in the way you kind of think through things and how you adapt to things. But it has been incredibly neat because um, I still kind of am part of a almost like a fraternity with those who have served and um, unlike others who just stay permanently and have uh, in the private sector, they not quite earn the right into that fraternity. And so sure. I often get called on, you know, about ideas, you know, I was there, you know, in the early days of education reforms, kind of probably one of the pioneers. And I certainly have got the scars down my back to prove uh, that I've been in that war. But it has been, you know, it gives me the opportunity to kind of get under the hood of the car and, and tinker with the engine still. Um, and that's part is very rewarding. Uh, I, I like to be involved in the thought process and being able to help um, those that serve in the legislature or serve in some high appointed offices to be able to you know, help them sort of find solutions. You know, sure. I like to think I'm a help like a fixer a little bit and yeah. that we work on fixing things. Sure. And, you know, you were part of some pretty big reforms. You know, is there anything that you feel you didn't get a chance to pursue or something maybe you would do a bit differently? Yeah. So uh, when I agreed to uh, become commissioner of education, uh, I had um, 
one major goal, personal goal, and that was to create a professional pay plan for professional teaching. Uh, that's what probably really drove me to accept the position. Uh, granted, I knew that I would be working for the governor um, and, you know, my job would be to sort of advocate for his policies and that of the State Board of Education. Um, and you also have a legislature that clearly thinks that they, they are your boss as well. 120 members of the House and 40 members of the Senate, seven members of the State Board. And, and truthfully, the governor really is my boss. Um, and so there was a time, an era where there were a lot of reform efforts um, and you only have so much political capital to spend. Sure. And so um, we were kind of spending the capital that advanced the, the policies uh, of the legislature, of the governor. Uh, and those are all good. I support them 100 percent. I mean, Governor Bush, there's no better person to work for than Governor Bush. I mean, smartest guy in the room all the time. He can think over the hill and around the curve better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, he's an amazing person, equipped beyond anything I have ever seen. And I have worked with lots of governors, and I like to think I'm very friendly with a lot of governors. Uh, but there's, you know, he will always be my governor because he is was incredible uh, and the opportunities he gave me. But I wanted to go change uh, how teachers were paid, create a professional pay plan. Um, I feel like that's the one piece of this whole puzzle that we haven't done. People will say, well, we've tried merit pay. We've tried doing a variety of kinds of things where we either base it on the degrees they've earned and can hang their diplomas on the wall. We, they'll even say years of experience. They'll even look at formulaic approaches based upon test scores of students. Uh, and all of that's great. Uh, and those are all pieces um, but there's the, the collaboration uh, of teachers is the most powerful part of teaching teachers that, that work together. Um, and so we need to approach it from two buckets or really three buckets. One bucket is obviously individual performance of teachers, but also a sort of a collaborative team effort. So bonuses are paid <clears throat> compensation that would be paid based upon, um, a collective effort because even the PE teacher is going to contribute to a student's success in algebra. Sure. And we need to encourage a collaboration and, and a group of teachers all working together to, to sort of enforce or reinforce concepts and ideas. And then last part is that, that has always driven me crazy is that our very best teachers for them to continue to be successful. They feel like they've got to come out of the classroom. The one thing they're gifted to do, the one thing that they are, are endowed to do, uh, we say, okay, well, we're going to take you out of that classroom. We're going to put you in administration. Mm. They may be uh, God's gift to teaching, and we need to create positions so that they can stay in the classroom as a senior teacher. Maybe we release them from some teaching, you know, one or two classes so that they can collaborate or team teach with younger teachers. Mm. But so, you know, there should be compensation should be based on individual performance team performance and ultimately some kind of a pay as a senior teacher or an executive teacher who, you know, some would call it master teacher or, or whatever, yeah. but however we do it, um, I would love to see us, you know, really kind of zero in on that. I think that's the one thing that if we would really te tr treat teaching like a profession, like engineers, like CPAs, um, you know, I grew up in the CPA world and, you know, when we hired a young accountant, what we didn't do 
is assign that young first year accountant and put them on our most difficult client and let them be out there by themselves. They were supervised. They were, there was effort afoot. But in teaching, we take our brand new teacher and generally we toss them the most hard to serve population of students. And then we actually sit around and look at each other and wonder why they quit in three years. And uh, we've got to quit doing that. We've got to actually create a culture that's like a profession. Sure. And uh, so that's the one thing that I didn't get to do. I look back, you know, I've never really lived my life with any regrets. A little bit of a regret there. Sure. A little bit of a regret, I have to admit. Well, Jim, thank you very much for, you know, hopping on with us today. Uh, This was, you know, great. And we appreciate you sharing. Thank you. I enjoyed this. This is great. Sign me up again. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to episode one of The Strategist Show with Jim Horn, partner of Strategist Group. We hope this podcast provides listeners with quality information on business, policy, and politics. If you like what you've heard, connect with us on our website, where we will have additional content coming out regularly. See you next time.